Moncrief on News Talk. And it is, it is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. I have a four-year-old boy who's starting school in September. His older sister attends a school near our house and is based in our community. She loves school and therefore he's excited about going there. However, we found out that there may be uh, only be two other boys out of a class of approximately 16. In addition, every second year the class is split and he could potentially be the only boy in his year in the class. This doesn't give him much of a choice of other boys to play with. We also wonder how he will manage if he goes to the only non-fee-paying secondary school which boys can attend. However, we are very lucky as we do have an alternative option. The preschool which he attends acts as a feeder to a nearby primary school. Two of his best buddies will go there. What do you think about this? What will the lack of other boys in his class impact his social and emotional development and or his enjoyment of school? He's a very happy boy and we really want to make the right decision for him. I think this is such an interesting question, Sean, and very topical at this time of year, you know, when primary school offers are going out to people and people are making this decision. I mean, in lots of ways, there's a lot of pros. Your daughter goes to the school. It's right by your house. It sounds like you would have the privilege of really small class groups as well, which could be Mm -hmm. really nice. You know, only 16 in the class. When you say you found out there may only be two boys or two other boys, Just get some clarity on that, because there's a lot of conditionals in that sentence. You found it out, you've heard it, you know, it might be a rumour, but certainly clarify that. And I'm not sure I fully understand the every second year the class is split, but I'm also wondering, does that mean they're blended with another class, you know, maybe above or below them? And there could be other boys in that. So there's a little bit of fact finding around that. However, you do have a choice. You have another primary school that he would get into and he has friends definitely going there. So I feel like, you know, this is a problem in one way and in another way, at least you do have this choice. My temptation, Sean, would be go where his friends are going. His needs will be met there if you as a family can manage two school drop offs, two school pickups at different times in different schools. And I think that can be very difficult coordination. But if you're like, no, no, we could handle it, then that makes it much easier. The question about his development is the other part of this that I think is really interesting because the truth is gender differences in children's behaviours or their, you know, social patterns of interaction, they begin to become apparent around three to four years old. So exactly where he's at. And at this stage, children will begin to show preferences to playing with others who they feel are similar to them and their behaviour can become similar to those they spend time with. So all of that to say his peer group, whoever he is with and spending his school day with and playing with, will have an influence on his own behaviour and play, but isn't the only deciding variable, not by a long shot, because children regardless of their gender, benefit from spending time with each other. So anyone listening who has chosen a single sex school for their children, ensure that some of the extracurricular activities they're doing are mixed. And equally, if this little boy was to go to the same school as his sister and be predominantly with other girls in the class, just ensure he has time with 
you know, other boys, peers who he identifies with, plays with outside of school. So there are solutions. You know, you can say, well, look, I'm going to make a conscious effort to ensure that the activities outside of school afford what I feel he might be missing in school, Mm. if that's going to work best for the family. But given you have a choice, I would think, look, he's in a preschool that's a feeder school for a primary school. He will have friends there. He'll know other kids there. That sounds like a solution. Yeah, it does. And his sister won't be in the same class as him anyway. No. Uh, which he might find a disappointment when he arrives in there and realises. Well, exactly. And that can often happen. You know, they're like, I'm going to go to school with my sister. But mm, no, you're not. And you might be finishing at different times as well. Mm depending on what stage of school she's at. So I think it also gives him an opportunity to go to school himself. This is my school and I like it. He sounds like he's really open to it and excited about it. So I think as parents make the call where he's going to go and then feed into his excitement and positivity by saying, hey, great news, it's going to be this school and talk it up. And you've got the summer to introduce that idea to him. Yeah. And there will. And as they say, there will be people from his preschool that he knows there. So exactly. That's the yeah. possible transition. Uh, far more serious one. My teenage daughter's friend attempted suicide and my daughter is struggling with it, crying and sleeping in our bed. I have spoken to her about people having moments when they feel desperate, but they can come through it. Important to communicate, etc. I am at a loss how to help her with this. Oh, I'm just, this is so sad. Like, this is such a lot for any community to deal with, any school community or, you know, even local community to deal with. And I think it's very difficult, Sean, when you are the parents of children this age and this has crossed your path as well because you're immediately thinking, how do I safeguard my child and protect them in this? And that's really valid. But when things like this happen, and they sadly do happen, what tends to occur first is every, there's a rush to talk about it, you know, exactly like this parent has done. I've spoken to her about people having moments and I've spoken to her about this and encouraged her to talk and communicate. And especially if this happened within, say, the school community, you know, if if this other teenager was in school with your daughter, then I imagine there's a lot of talking and encouraging talk surrounding all of the peer group. And that's really important. I don't want to dismiss this. It is. But it's really important to also listen to kids when they've been exposed to something like this and affected by it. And that means that we have to avoid fixing and embrace vulnerability ourselves. That would mean going to her when you hear her crying and not to say, it's okay. here's the solution. Here's the solution. But simply holding her without words, singing to her, soothing her, rocking with her, you know, crying with her whatever feels really natural in that moment, simply to communicate in a nonverbal way. You're not alone with this. Your feelings are valid. Of course, this is difficult for you because this is a really difficult thing. And I think if you can provide a safe space for her to emotionally exhale all of the emotions that have been activated by this, that's the very important first step. And then you can extend that practice alongside it being with her, you know, walks together, watching movies, just sitting on the sofa, not talking about anything, just simply being with baking, cuddles, giving it lots of time. But all of those actions are not avoiding the topic. Far from it. They are communicating very clearly. You're not alone. I am a resource for you. I am available to you to avail of. And then you will return because what you're talking about with her is good. You know, you've said to her, 
people have these moments, experiences when they feel so desperate that a person, you know, we want to communicate messages that sometimes people get so overwhelmed with feelings that they see no other answer. But there is always another answer. And I'm always here to help you find answers. You bring your questions and worries to me. We will work out together. But rather than her going, oh, gosh, you're just going to give me all the answers, you're explaining that when you say we'll work it out together, that means being with you, listening to you, soothing you, not rushing you to work it out, but simply giving you the space to feel what you feel about this. This is a huge event for any teenagers to get their head around. You know, teenagers by by developmental nature feel there's a high degree of omnipotence, you know, mm. nothing bad will happen yeah. to us. We can do things, you know, we're, we're, you know, omnipotent in that way that we can survive anything. And to be confronted with, oh, that might not be true for all of us is very, very difficult. So I think it might be useful to check in, certainly with your own feelings, by the way, to this parent as well, and let let your daughter know this is a lot for me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm upset. And this is what I'm doing. I'm talking to people. I'm looking at resources. And there are services out there and there are resources. Link with the school as well, because I think it would be useful to see what is the school's approach and how can you work collaboratively so that you're not you know, get the messaging that they're using, what supports they may well have counselling services available for young people. And they probably have something going on in the classroom. Again, if this is somebody in her school community, if it's a friend from, you know, the general community, see what's going on with family resource centres who are a great resource with local libraries who would have lists of groups in your area as well. And just really activate your support network all around you at this time. This is really difficult. Yeah, but it sounds like from what you're saying, it's just time, really. It is time. And it's the time to feel what you feel so that you can then stop feeling it. You know, we have to give our kids time and space to work through their feelings. I think as parents, and I totally understand it because it comes from such a good intended place, we just want to make them feel better. We just want to say, don't worry about this. Give it to me. I'll worry for you. Let me protect you from the scary stuff in the world. And actually, your daughter has been confronted with some of the scariest stuff that can happen in the world. And now you have to support her in working through it. And that's exactly the phrase. It is work. So it's not as quick as, okay, thanks, you told me to talk about it and these things happen and there are always answers. But I have to mull that over. I have to hear it a number of times. Mm -hmm. And actually, I will co-regulate and get back to myself by just being with you. So do more listening than talking at this point, because I think that can get missed when something like this happens in teenagers' lives. We want so badly to educate them and explain to them and rescue them from this and ensure they understand, don't do it, don't do that, do something else, that we forget to listen. And listening is really important. We listen not just with our ears to words, we listen with body language, with attunement and just getting a sense of where are you at? And you know when you know when you're a parent and you even in a relationship when you love someone, you get a sense of you need a hug. Yeah, Trust that yeah. instinct. It's an embodied feeling. And so much of the soothing and comfort comes at that embodied level. Yeah. And I suppose as well, especially for their teenagers, there's an urge to try and fix things for them. 
but oh, you know, absolutely, you and really. especially something like this because actually it's very fear-inducing in adults. Oh mm. my gosh, this is so scary. This is like real life, and how do I protect teenagers from feeling this way? And actually, we protect them by equipping them to know they can get through difficult things. I have four children under the age of seven. The youngest isn't a year old yet. I parent alone during the week because my husband works away. Obviously, I'm the default parent and a stay-at-home parent. I do 99% of everything, both child-related and house-related. I've become such a tired, cranky, stressed and shouty parent that I hate myself. My children now shout constantly and bicker, pinch, smack, and I know these behaviours are because they see and hear me be so short-fused and aggressive. I want the best for them and to do my job as a parent the best I can, but I don't know where to turn. I have no support from either set of grandparents. What some kind of therapy, uh, would some kind of therapy be good either for me or and or the children? I feel an absolute failure and I'm supposed to be guiding them in everyday life, but I'm constantly overwhelmed and the smallest thing just breaks me, whether it's another sibling fight or some spilled cereal. Oh my goodness, you can just feel the level of yeah. overwhelm in this. And you know, just to immediately validate it, you're exhausted because this is exhausting mm. and you're depleted because this is depleting. So you, your feelings, while really difficult and overwhelming, there is context to what's going on, but it's not sustainable, this context. You know, parental burnout or compassion fatigue or however you want to describe it. We often talk about compassion fatigue in terms of, you know, the caring services, people who are professional carers and that level of, you know, burnout that can happen at an emotional level. Actually, parental burnout and the effect on parental stamina is something that doesn't get explored nearly enough. And it is a thing. And you're certainly not the only person feeling it, but you will feel very alone in that. And those two seemingly conflicting statements can coexist here that, you know, I know other people feel this way, but it's not really the thing that you say when someone says to you at the school gate, how are things? Well, actually, now that you've said it, let me overspill here. So you end up feeling quite alone. But the truth is, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Yeah. And this, the really important act that you have to do before we get to answering about therapy is what practical, tangible change I don't care how small it is, can you start with? And there's something in here that during the week, first of all, four children under seven and the youngest wow. isn't even one. That's a lot. And you're doing all of this midweek because of, you know, family needs and work structure on your own entirely. You must be exhausted. But in here, Sean, I don't hear what happens when your partner gets home? Mm. Like, how is your weekends? Where is your opportunity to recharge? And so what can happen is we get caught in this almost hamster wheel effect of this frenetic activation, mobilization. We move at this frenetic pace and we normalize it as, well, this is family life. And it keeps going seven days and there's no break. So seven days, 14 days, and it goes on and on and on. So the first thing you're going to do, and it may be that you communicate it on the phone or text or whatever way with your partner during the week is that you are going to ring fence time with your husband, ideally away from the house for two hours. I'll settle for 90 minutes, but two hours ideally. And that might mean that you put have to put some um, action in place first to get some babysitting cover for that time. If you can get an hour, take it, but aim for two hours. Doing it away from the house just allows any distractions or crying children or somebody who needs a drink or coming down the stairs not to interrupt because what's needed here is very practical help. And that could be 
I'm just going to give examples, Sean, like what that looks like in anyone's family home depends on resources and where your area of need is. But one to two mornings or afternoons per week where you do have, say, three hours of childcare or babysitting in or a couple of hours a week of cleaning. If that's if you feel if somebody took that off my agenda that would really help. Wherever you feel the greatest area is, it may be at the weekends when your partner is home that you're able to batch cook for the week. So the cooking is off the table during the week and you're eliminating the other pressures that are on you Monday to Friday. Make sure that at the weekend there is time together as a family, but also that you utilize the fact that your partner is at home so that you can have solo time. What that looks like for you is going to be very personal. It could be that you go for a hot coffee that's hot the whole way through it with a book. It could be that you book a hair appointment or a facial or indeed that you go to therapy or simply spend time with friends. But it's about you. So you have to look at what's manageable Start with one practical change. But if you free up two hours in the week, don't say, well, now I'll get on top of the laundry while somebody's minding the kids. You need to take that time very much for yourself because you need the practical help, but you also deserve it. And I think that's really important here. We all deserve help and support. Nobody can do it fully on their own. You know, by taking this time back for ourselves, we're actually giving to our children. So it sounds like, oh, it's all about you. And without, no, actually, it is all about you. We have to invest in ourselves so that we can be the best version of ourselves for our kids. It's interesting, though, isn't it? And, and I, I'm sure she's not alone in this, but that, that uh, you know, a woman by herself is asked to do the impossible, but feels a failure because she's not able to do the impossible. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's exactly it, that that there's no way anybody could manage this long term. And that's what I meant, really, when I was saying, you know, that this context, while there's context to how you're feeling, the context itself is not sustainable because you your kids need you. They want you and you have very little left to give at the moment. And you are so everything you have is going to others, which means there's nothing coming for you. So you have to do that. I'd also say, and it might start with just getting some of these pressures off you, but do try to build in time. If you guys as a couple are only getting two or three days a week or evenings a week with kids and everything else going on together, try to get that walk, even if it's a 30 minute walk, that there's just the two of you. If it's a dinner together, if it's one of those very rare coveted nights out, whatever you can do to ensure that you're, you have relationships time in there but I think it has to start with this mum first Mm, and it's about her and then it's about investing in each other and the relationship so that you can be the scaffolding that your children need because too often we think oh my children are number one I give everything to them do you know what we don't do our children any favors by doing that the best gift we'll give them is actually taking care of ourselves and each other as as a couple she did mention uh, um, counseling of some sort do you you think that's necessary I I think it could be because I don't know what else is going on around this. And this is a level of overwhelm that may be at a stage that you need somebody else to regulate you so that you can make the changes we're talking about. I would start with some practical help and changes. And maybe one of the things that you do when you've got that time back for yourself, if you've got someone who's taking three hours a week to sit with the kids, you might use one of those three hours to go to therapy and then take yourself off for a coffee and a walk afterwards or before it. And you really invest in yourself in a holistic way. So I think it could be a part of it. But in and of itself right now, therapy won't be enough. You have to make some practical change around that as well. 
Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Uh, Joanna, fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.